0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. We're excited today because we're gonna begin our Gospel of Mark series. We're, we're so excited to launch into what is often believed to be the first written chronologically, if you will, gospel penned by Mark, John Mark, but also there's much scholarly work done and historians have looked into this enough to see that it's very likely that Mark has put together a lot of illustrations and accounts that he got from Peter. So if you've ever wondered, "Ah, how come Peter didn't do one of the Gospels? He knew Jesus so well. In a lot of ways, you get a lot of that from the Gospel of Mark. It's shorter than the others, and it's full of action. And why do we want to, why are we particularly excited about this? Well, we live in a time period where it's very easy for people to create a Jesus of their own liking. In fact, oftentimes, Jesus is more of an illustration of what we want him to be than the Jesus of scripture. You'll hear people say, well, the Jesus I, I know wouldn't do that. Or, or Jesus did that, so I can do that. Well, Jesus didn't do that, so we should never do that. Like, like what are the things that I should really see? And the problem, and why that occurs is, Many people are not in the word of God, even who call themselves followers, and they don't know the word of God, and they begin to create a Jesus, maybe from felt boards from years ago, from someone else's opinion, from a television's perspective, and haven't studied him themselves. And that's why we're excited about the gospel of Mark. It's full of action. He goes through it quickly. He addresses subjects and keeps moving. He gets to the point. He wants you to understand Jesus is God. And maybe more than any other gospel, there's a motif of the fact that he's a servant and how that can change your life by seeing this Jesus, who seems to be one of his favorite titles for himself was, does anybody know? Son of man, he loved to call himself the son of man. He loved to refer to his servanthood nature. And so we're excited today, begin this series with the sermon we'll call Fishers of Men. How many of you love fishing? Well, if you love fishing, you came to the right Sunday, okay? Because this is gonna be a theme that plays out throughout our entire start to our series how we're called to be fishers of people. What what is that about? What does that mean? I mean, if you fish, you know what it's like to be fishers of fish. But what does it mean to be fishers of men? We obviously understand that this is a a spiritual metaphor in our lives and something he's called us to do. You know, when Jesus asks us to do something, he wants us to do it, not think about it, not process it, not someday. And we tend to be procrastinators in our life, we tend to put things off. But just as the Gospel of Mark is a book of action, is it possible that teenager, he doesn't want you to wait until you get to college? Is it possible, college student, he doesn't want you to wait till you get a job? Is it possible, mom and dad, he doesn't want you to wait until they grow up? Is it possible he wants you to become a fisher of men right now? This is our message. This is where we'll start. And I think as a church, this will be really a blessing for us. Because it's very easy, especially in our society, for a church to be a keeper of the aquarium instead of fishers of men. It's very easy to say, I don't want this. We gotta make sure. It's a scary world. We better you know, keep cuddling in when Jesus has called us to be fishers of men. Can I ask you? If Jesus... We're to sit down next to you today after church and say, who do you think I'd like you to fish for? You might have an answer. How many of us are convinced we have, oh, forever, a couple years, when maybe he's asking us to do something right away? See, Mark is a book of action, and we're going to point that out today. And one of the first action steps a follower of Christ as we've been looking at in our series does is become a fisher of men. Do you fish for men? Well, today I pray we inspire you to do so by hearing the words that Jesus said to Simon. I wanna make you a fisher of men. I pray this Mark series gets you excited. I pray that today will be a great launch to our series and enjoy this time in the Gospel of Mark. Grab your journals, if you grab them on the way in, or open up your scripture. We're gonna take a lot of notes on who this Jesus really is. When you have missionary kids that grew up in America, you teach them that you need to be more on guard when you live, or God has called your family to a jungle area. I remember the account of a missionary sharing, taking his kids into a dense tropical area where there was countless wild animals, dangerous venomous snakes, and things that could hurt them. And he said, there are things in here, in these forests, in these trees, that are very dangerous. It's not like where you were And you need to be more on guard. And if dad or mom ask you to do something, we can't hear why. We can't hear, oh really, now? We need you to follow immediately. This was the message he taught his kids. There was a specific day, he was working in the house and he saw his son out in the back playing in the trees. He would check on them from time to time, but his son had begun to really navigate this new world their family had been called to. But this specific day, things changed when the father looked out. He looked at the tree that his son was playing under, and he stormed towards the back door, threw open the screen door, and yelled, Son! We'll call him Charlie for sake of story. Charlie, drop and crawl. Drop and crawl. And Charlie, he dropped and he started crawling to his father the second his dad told him to. And all the parents of young children in the room go, just like our kids, just like them. <laughs> He crawled right up to his dad. His dad grabbed him. He said, hey bud, way to go bud way to listen. Look at the tree. And they look back at the tree and they see that one of the branches that looked like it was moving was moving. And right above Charlie was a boa constrictor that was about to attack him. Drop and crawl. One command, two actions. One command, two actions. He obeyed both, and he did it in such a timely manner that he was saved from apparent danger. Here's the dynamic of living in the jungle. Here is the boa constrictor dynamic. When your father, who has told you to watch out for snakes and wild animals, tells you to do something, you follow when? Immediately. That's the lesson here. When you have a voice you trust, when you have a voice that's warned you, when you have a voice that said, I need you to watch out, there are snakes. And when I tell you to do something, I don't need you to procrastinate. I'm not telling you to think about it. I'm not telling you to ponder it and see how it works for you. I'm telling you to follow, when church? Immediately. How many of us fall prey to procrastination? I would not use this dynamic in regards to a salesperson. I would not use this dynamic in regards to somebody pressuring you to do something, but in regards to what the word of God says to do, in regards to what our heavenly father tells us to do. We are not to do it someday. We're not to think about it when we grow up. We are to do it immediately. And so kids, you're not off the hook if you call yourself a follower of God today. Teenagers, this isn't your rebel time and you're off the hook if you said you're a follower. College student, this isn't your, I'm really thinking about deconstructing a few things time. If you're a follower, this is what you do. Mom and dad, this isn't like when we mature a little bit, but right now we really gotta build up. This isn't that. If you're a senior saint, well, I used to. No, no, he still wants you to follow him. And when the word of God tells you to do something, you are to do it, church, immediately, immediately. I could probably stop the sermon right there and say, what is, what is the Lord been laying on your heart that you've been putting off? And you know it's from God because it's in the word of God. And be careful, because sometimes we can make things up, we think God's saying. If it's from the word of God, though, we can trust that voice and we can follow it. Why do I stress this? This is the Gospel of Mark. Did you know that within the Gospel of Mark, I don't know how many of you read ahead or have been in the book before, over 47 times Mark uses the word, anyone wanna guess? Immediately, immediately. I love how Mark writes. In fact, real, real just devourers of the word of God, i just jump into seminary here for a second. You will notice that Mark has a pace, okay? In the first eight chapters, okay, those are a little more in depth with scripture. No, that's his public ministry. The next few chapters are his ministry with the disciples. And then the final chapters are his passion. Mark is such an incredible writer. He writes with a sense of urgency in the beginning. If I were to tell you a story like this, tell me the emotion you feel. All right, I, I just felt, I felt a prompting that I, I should text my buddy who I wasn't sure if he got bad news. I just felt like I should do it. And you know what? Immediately I text him and you're not gonna believe it. Immediately he got back to me. He was like, you have no idea how important that was. And then, and then I'm, I'm like sitting there, I was walking into this, this thing and I, I said, and immediately this happened. You go, wow, wow, you're really seeing God in this. You keep, immediately, Mark is that way. Do you see who this is? Immediately, immediately. So when you see the word immediately, I'm gonna call on you to say immediately. One, it will help you stay awake if you struggle in those comfortable seats. Two, it will help us engage with it. And three, if you're like, I ain't doing what everybody's doing, then you just sit there quietly, no judgment here, okay? But I want us to stress this because I got this gut feeling that somebody in here needs to follow Jesus Next week? Monday? No, I'm thinking immediately. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray and then we're going to immediately begin looking at the gospel of Mark. Heavenly Father, use our time together to want to pursue what you call us to do we have been studying what it means to be a follower and what it means to sign up to follow Jesus. And make no mistake, Lord, we know that we are in times where there are snakes all around. And we can't afford to be lazy followers. We can't afford to be slow thinkers. When we hear what the truth says, God, would you call us and remind us to do it immediately. Lord, we trust you. Use this text. Free the room of distraction. Humble our hearts to hear it. And God, speak to your kids and challenge those who might be considering following this Jesus all the more today. We'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, immediately open your journals. Here we go. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, verse one of chapter one. He says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, you might want to write down, it stands written. That is one of the best ways to interpret that because we're seeing here that Mark is affirming the Old Testament. College student, you will be challenged whether you should buy into this Old Testament. Mark had no problem with it. Chris has no problem with it. It stands written, we can trust this. Isaiah taught us this. What? Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths Straight. It can also be translated, make his path a highway. Here he comes. And so Isaiah says there's going to be a forerunner you can write down. A forerunner will be coming. He will come from the wilderness. There will be a voice crying from the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. His name is John. John the Baptist, born of Elizabeth, leaped in his mother's womb when Mary came with Jesus. He was baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. The word repent, it means to turn. It's as if you look at something that is a sin and you go, I no longer want to do it. Does anybody need to hear that today? Is there something in your life that you know is wrong? You're not wondering if it's wrong, but someday you'll stop doing it. I would encourage you to do it immediately. You can do it while you're sitting there. We are to confess our sins, child of God. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yeah, someday I gotta get right with God. How about you how about, how about, how about, how about do it um, immediately? And John's message was that, repent. And he saw fruits of repentance, fruit of them going a different direction, behaving and operating a different way. And he would baptize. And, and, and oh, they were coming and they were coming and coming. And now John, he was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. If I'm a young person, I'm already drawing what John looks like. I'm already drawing it. What is this? He looks like the prophet Elijah, you would think. He has this strict diet, and he's coming from the wilderness and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I wanted to point out three things. We looked at it in our intro last week before our awesome baptism Sunday. I heard three things about this voice that I got to make sure I write down a forerunner, one who wants to tell people about Jesus and that he is coming, speaks with a voice of urgency. There's an urgency to it. There's not a, hey, you know what? Someday I wanna share it with that guy at work. I've been thinking about it. There's an urgency to it. There's a voice of boldness. He's not ashamed. He's not trying to hide this. He shares with a voice of boldness. And then finally, I notice a voice of humility. Oh, there's one who comes after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. This is, this is how awesome he is. And it says John operated with a formula. For not long after, Jesus would come, he would begin baptizing, and some of John the Baptist's disciples came up to him and said, hey, hey, you know, he's also, he's also baptizing? And he's like, hey, hey, this is how it's supposed to go. What, what, yeah, yeah. As time goes on, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. There is a formula he operated with. There was a way he lived his life. That guy is who we're to put the attention on. Can I tell you this, church? You will never accept the call to be a fisher of men if you go to work going, I must become greater and he must become less and less. Teenager, you'll never accept the call to say, I wanna become a fisher of men if you go to school saying, he must become less and less and I must become greater and greater. It doesn't work that way because to follow after Jesus means to go through some of the things Jesus went through and he had to deal with a lot of things and we're going to see it throughout the gospel of Mark. But I want to encourage you when you choose this formula, your anxiety will drop because your passion for self-preservation won't be your consuming thought for the day. If you follow this equation, your anger will drop. Why? Because you're not focused on yourself. You're focused on other people. If you practice this equation, your judgmental spirit will drop because you won't be so busy pointing out the flaws in everyone else because you're focused on your own. This formula is the cure for so much angst we all cover and deal with daily. Why? Because we flipped it. We've said, I must become greater and greater. In fact, some of our prayers are simply, God, help me to have a good day. What does that even mean? I wouldn't suggest, Lord, help me to have a bad day. But what is a good day? I'll tell you what a good day is. A day when I make it my intent that he must become greater and I must become less and less. Oh, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, church, you ready? Immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. John says, immediately Jesus comes on the scene and he gets baptized in the Jordan River. Baptism comes from the word baptizo, which means to immerse. We have him going down into the water, symbolizing his death and eventual resurrection. And we see this baptism of Jesus by John. And I noted three things you might wanna write down. Here's one. The heavens were torn open. Don't, don't, don't read over that. That's exciting. You go, it is? Yes, I'll prove it to you. Isaiah and the psalmist cried, rip open the heavens and come. They longed for the messianic kingdom where Messiah would come. And they say, render, rip, tear open the heavens. This is the idea. This is the idea. Let's lose a sermon note for sake of illustration. Rip open the heavens. You can hear action in John's writing. Tear them open. Come down. The time of Jesus is here. Heaven's tore open. What what, what happened? The spirit descended like a dove. Wow. You say, why is that cool? Here's why is that cool. A dove was what the poorest of the poor would often sacrifice when they couldn't even afford a lamb. This Jesus is demonstrating his humility as well as the commencing of the suffering servant. And the spirit descends as a dove, no, no, like a dove, coming down. And my more, my more observing readers notice the next thing that happens is a voice comes from the father from heaven and says, this is my son. Does anybody spot the Trinity in Jesus' baptism? Jesus comes, the spirit descends, and the father says, this is my beloved son. Neat stuff in the gospel of Mark. And he's pointing all of this out for us, penning it down. I'll tell you what, if somebody got baptized up here and a voice came from heaven, I'd check the speaker's one, but then I'd be very nervous. We slip over this stuff. How empowering, and that's exactly what was going on here. Jesus' ministry was being launched. He had spent 30 years in basic obscurity. We don't even have a ton of information about him. Don't you wish you could know more about the first 30 years? But in year 30, it's time. And he's baptized publicly to say, here we go. This is the messianic kingdom. This is the suffering servant. This is the son of man's beginning of his ministry. What, 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 what happened next? Oh, I got, I got a feeling of words coming. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to them. Time, out. what? 40 days? We find out from another gospel that he spent those 40 days eating nothing. Church, it's April. 40 days from now is like June 1st or June 2nd. I checked it out, did a little like that. Don't hold me to it. Some of you are worried about 12.30 lunch. <laughs> June 1st, what have I told you that? Church, we're gonna follow Jesus. June 1st, gonna have a smorgasbord, right? Some of you are like, I just don't even see that as healthy. June 1st, we'd look a lot different, wouldn't we? Oh my word. I don't know if my hair would make it through that. I don't even, June of uh, 40 days. And on top of that, he's being tempted by Satan. What was going on there? Well, Mark doesn't care. He's got things to talk about, but other gospels tell us that Jesus was tempted three times. Do you remember what they were? You're like, oh man, oh. Test. First one, think about it. It's June 1st and you haven't eaten for 40 days. Hey, you see that stone? This wouldn't be a temptation for me because I'm not capable of it. But see, the enemy knows where there's areas that might be harder than you for others. You see that stone, Jesus? Why don't you turn that into food? Because we both know you can. Jesus quotes scripture back to him. Man shall not live on bread alone. Hmm. Even Adam were so much easier. This guy is something. And he takes him up, to where? To the temple mount. He stands on top of the temple mount. Oh, the gall. Oh, the gall of the devil. And he says this, jump off and get all your angels to help you. Do you think Satan has a pretty good idea what the angelic realm is capable of? You think the angel Graham's real terrified of human beings in this area? Do you think he knows that the angels will minister to him? See, the devil's not omniscient, but he can watch, and he does know history. And he definitely knows what's in the word of God. And so Jesus leverages it with him and says, do not test the Lord your God. Hmm. Jesus knows he can call on his angels. In fact, one time, Jesus even references it, doesn't he? I wonder if every time he got hit. Oh, my word. You know what, Michael, the archangel is capable of doing to this guy. Do you know, do you ever wonder? But Jesus never sinned. He was impeccable, which speaks to his sinlessness. But this temptation was Jesus, leverage your angelic realm. This temptation was Jesus. Leverage your divine power being the God man whenever you want to for yourself. This is the temptation, and Jesus says, No. Power under control. The third temptation was on top of a mountain. And the devil has the goal to say, bow down to me, and I'll give you all this. It's all Jesus' anyway. But what the devil's trying to do is offer Jesus an out to the whole death and crucifixion thing. I'll be out of your hair. Just worship me, and you won't have to go through what you're going to go through. And Jesus said, You will worship the Lord your God. Jesus swung back with his hands, with his Twitter account, with stomping and yelling. Or did he swing back with the word of God? Child of God, scripture says, Thy word have I hid in your heart that I might not sin. Jesus, you want to know who this Jesus is? He is someone who leverages scripture in difficult situations. He leverages scripture in the midst of temptation. How about we get some anchor verses? If you know the enemy knows anxiety is a problem for you, do you have an anchor verse you can quote back to him? If you know pride is a problem and you know it's a temptation for you, do you have an anchor verse? You say, why would you do that? Because this is who Jesus is. He is a man who is fully God and fully man, yet leverages scripture when going through temptation. I also noticed he was being ministered to by angels. Did you know that Hebrews says, are there not angels who minister to those who have been inheriting salvation? The angelic realm is something that's going to be talked through the entire gospel. We're going to see not only demonic spirits, but we're going to see angels ministering to Jesus. How amazing this book is going to be. But then I noticed something. Did you notice this? Mark wants to make sure you note that he was with the wild animals. Anybody see that? You you maybe want to circle that as a third thing. Like, what's that? And and for for that, can I take us to a little historical background? During the time of the gospel of Mark, many believe it would have started circulating. Remember, in one form, circulated to another, circulated to another at that time. And many believe that the earliest readers would be reading this somewhere around 54 to 70, right in that area. Do you know what Rome was like during that time for a Christian? Rome during the time of the gospel of Mark being delivered was a time where many Christians were hiding underneath Rome in caves. Why was this an option? Because in 54 approximately during that time, something happened to Rome. Does anyone know? There was a massive fire, massive fire. And Nero, the leader of that time, he blamed the people group. Do you know who he blamed? He blamed Christians. In fact, to punish Christians, he often would find out they were believers in this Jesus of Nazareth and he'd cover them with tar. Why? So they would burn better on stakes in his garden. You know what else he did? He would take skins of animals and lay them over Christian's shoulders and send them out into the streets to be eaten by dogs. You know what else he did? He would send them into arenas and unleash, you ready? Wild animals to devour them like lions. Mark knew his readers needed to know that Jesus understands what it's like to be terrified, if you will, like they are. Not a spirit of fear, but to understand the emotion that they're going through. Jesus was with the wild animals. And what an encouragement, what an encouragement to the readers. Do you love sometimes to bring in historical background to bring more depth to the truth? What happened? John's, uh, Mark says, now, after John was arrested, oh, my word, persecution is rising so much, even John was arrested? Why was he arrested? Mark doesn't care. We got things to talk about. He moves on. <laughs> Jesus, we'll, we'll talk about it. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus comes in. He says, "The kingdom of God is at hand," which I truly believe is a reference to His messianic kingdom. For the earthly kingdom would be promised after all the Jews wouldn't turn on Him that they did and so tried crucified. But every knee will bow, and everyone confess that Jesus is Lord. That earthly kingdom at the second coming, but this kingdom, the messianic kingdom, has come. Jesus is. Here And he is to be received in what way? Repent and believe. No, 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 wait a minute. One one command with two actions. Repent and believe. One command with two actions. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking what I've been doing. I know it's not right. And you know what? I'm thinking come June 1st, I was thinking about dealing with that. I was thinking about reaching out to somebody. Uh, I was looking at this. While it's still called today, encourage one another, I was looking at that verse and I'm thinking, you know what? Someday I'm gonna do that. What am I getting at? When should we repent and believe? Are you here today and you've been thinking about following Christ? Is it possible maybe you are sovereignly here today to hear this? Because maybe, Maybe Jesus knows you don't have next Sunday. I got all the time. Teenager, is it possible that he's kind of calling on you to live for him this week because there might not be a friend you have next week? You see, we live through life thinking we got time. And Mark is a writer that goes, what are we procrastinating for? Do we have something where we're walking the wrong direction and we know what scripture says about it? Yeah, let's do it today. Well, I was thinking about starting my diet on Monday. Let's do it today. Do you love the inspiration Mark brings? I mean, we, we all would probably ask him to be one of our life coaches. Let's do it, right? Mark, when do you think I should start? Immediately, Immediately. let's do it. Okay, okay, okay. Repent and believe. Scripture's very clear. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I ought to do that someday. Mark, you ought to do that immediately. What did Jesus do next, Mark? Well, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fisherman time out real quick can i speak up for andrew you finally get mentioned in scripture and you're mentioned as the brother of simon i mean come on couldn't it just be simon and any younger brothers here living in this shadow of the almighty older brother i'm only kidding i'm only kidding especially if they also go to this church I mean, Andrew and Simon are are, are brothers and and Jesus sees them and and he he spots them casting a net into the sea. Why were they casting a net? Well, because they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you, there's a line, fishers of men. I wonder what they'll do. Ready? And immediately they left their nets and followed him immediately they left their nets and followed him. I noticed three things about this call that Jesus has to say, follow me. One, it was by the Sea of Galilee. Anybody familiar with the Sea of Galilee? Some 13 miles long. It was the center of the fishing industry during that time period. I mean, it was such a raging industry for the desire for protein in that area was at an all-time high. In fact, it was fished so heavily because the investment by leadership into it, King Herod had two sons and they just poured money into the fishing industry. And so it became very, very competitive to become a fisherman. They weren't necessarily highly esteemed, esteemed in society, but it was an opportunity to kind of get your hands dirty, that self-employed, if you will, that entrepreneur spirit to go, I'm going to get in those waters and I'm going to catch fish. It was believed That some historians even said, like Josephus, that over 260 boats competed in the Sea of Galilee during the time period of Mark's gospel, going for fish. And when did they fish? They fished at night, for they didn't want the sunlight to expose the nets that the fish would swim into them at dark. And so you must, it must have been hilarious to, to Simon when Jesus comes up to him during the day and says, throw your nets in. I mean, this Jesus guy has no clue. Stay in your lane. They fished carp, catfish, tilapia's. Those bottom feeder, tilapias, any fishermen, those bottom feeders, be careful. They're affectionately called St. Peter's fish overseas. So be careful with that. Some of the fish were too small, they made money off of that. It's as if like like somebody came up with this idea that chicken is even better if we give it in chicken wings with buffalo sauce. (laughs) I'm sorry, we're fasting till June 1st. No, 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 that's not true. But, but it was called gallum and it was a fish sauce. Now I like to go to Ocean City in the summer and I like to get different sauces for shrimp. So this spoke to me. I kept reading like a, I was being really nerdy and I just kept reading about the Sea of Galilee and fish sauces. For Romans would put this stuff on everything. And so if you're Simon and Andrew. You get your hands on this. You are going to make money. And it seems that these two guys were relatively successful in what they did. They said, how do you know, Chris? They had a boat. To have a boat, you're doing well. It would have been believed that Simon and Andrew's boat would have been some 23 feet long and could house about 11 to 13 passengers. You could argue you could fall asleep in the back of one of these things in a storm. Simon and Andrew had a house in Capernaum. For them to have a house in Capernaum already speaks. On top of that, we find out that Simon was married. And Jesus comes up to these guys on the Sea of Galilee, Simon and Andrew, and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they go, when? What? I I, I already love Peter, who will one day get his name changed from Simon by Jesus. I already respect Andrew. My respect level now goes through the roof. These guys were doing well. These guys were working, but something was off. And Jesus said, follow me. And they immediately followed him. And going just a little bit further, going just a little bit farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. So it must have been during the day, because that's what they did. They mended the nets during the day. They prepared it to go out at night and catch these fish. And, And what happened? And church, and immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee. Bye, dad in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Whoa, whoa, time out. There were hired servants. That means that Zebedee was very successful, organized businessman in fishing. And he's got his two sons working for him. And these sons were something else because they were affectionately referred to as the sons of thunder. So these boys could work. And Jesus comes up to these two guys who can work. I mean, if you're a fisherman, you know how to work. You know this is struggle, you know this is patience, you know this is passion, you know this is perseverance, you know this is facing your fears, and you know this is possibly being ostracized from those who might be maybe necessarily more politically minded. You know how to work, and Jesus comes up to them, and he says, follow me, Simon, Andrew, James, John. Follow me. And they followed him. Man, they followed him immediately. Simon, immediately. Simon and Andrew, the fishermen. Simon was a man of resolution. If everyone leaves you, Jesus, I will stay. Simon, he was a a man of decisiveness. He knew how to make a decision. Matthew would always write his name first as if chief. If you want to think of like that alpha male mentality, it was Simon. He was a man of influence. In fact, when Jesus died and was, they were waiting to see if he would be resurrected. And even beyond that time period, it was Simon who said, I'm going fishing. And all the other guys just followed him. Jesus calls people who have influence and says, I wanna use your influence. Jesus calls people who have decisiveness. He calls ladies that can make decisions. He calls men who have influence. He calls teenagers who have a resolve in their spirit that just because the teacher or just because someone says it or just because that person treats somebody that way, he calls people like that and he leverages their personalities and he grows them. Oh, and Andrew, Simon's brother. A man of few words in scripture. We don't hear from him a lot. But when we do hear from him, he is often serving someone. He's a man of empathy. For he's the one who spots people that other people miss. Probably because Simon's always talking, Andrew spots the people on the fringes. Did you know who found the boy with a couple loaves and some fish? It was Andrew. Do you know who brought him to Jesus? It was Andrew. Maybe you're here today and you go, oh, I'm not like that leader type or whatever that. Maybe maybe you're a person of few words, but you know how to bring people to Jesus. You know how to say, come with me to church. You know how to say, come with me to youth group. You know how to say, come here. I wanna point you to someone who might point you to Jesus. Jesus calls people in the background to follow him. Oh my word. And then James, James, oh my goodness, James. A man of emotion, a man of confrontation, a man of confidence. You say, how do you know? One time people were kind of mocking Jesus and he came up to Jesus and said, what do you say we call down fire from heaven and consume them? James, James, I'm thinking, good idea. James is a man of confrontation. One time, James came to him with his mommy, by the way, and uh, they said, who are are these two going to be the greatest? They sit by you. And Jesus said to James, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And James said, yes. He had no idea but he was a man of passion. And his brother, John, was a man of conviction, a man of truth, and a man of grace. We hear him write throughout the New Testament. It's black or white. You love God or you don't. If you say you love God, but hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. John is, it's this Or that. It is what it is, whether you like it or not, that's the truth. He cuts straight to the point, and Jesus calls people like that. He uses all types, and there's many more we're gonna get to learn in this gospel. But I personally, rereading Mark, my respect level went through the roof, and it was already up at the top for these guys who followed Jesus. But when it comes to Simon, Andrew, James, and John, two sets of brothers who most likely fished together because they're often mentioned together. When Jesus said, follow me, they followed, one more time, Immediately. immediately. I wanna follow immediately, you might say. Well, then I got a formula for you. This is how you gotta do tomorrow. Because if you're going to be a fisher of men, um, it can't be about you. And if he prompts you through scripture to do something, you follow it. Because maybe the reason you felt had to encourage somebody is because you don't know what they were thinking about doing that night. Maybe the reason you got into your word of God was not for you, but was for your 12-year-old son who watches his daddy open the Bible now. Who he thought daddy only opened the ESPN app. Maybe maybe you don't wait a couple months to address an issue because it needs to be something that you do now. Where are we getting the word of God, if we're not in the word of God. And so I want to encourage you from the gospel of Mark, as we read through this book together as a church, let's be thinking about the passion of Mark and let's do the first thing we're called to do as a follower, become fishers of men. You say, okay, all ready. Right, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a fisher of men. Okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be a How do we become fishers of men? Well, let's work with the illustration here. Jesus walks up to a group of fishermen who are holding a net. I wish I had a net. Oh, I have one. What do you know? Look at that. And and he walks up to them while they're mending their nets and while they're casting their nets. And so this certainly wasn't, I doubt they had a highlighted blue um, net, but um, we got to work with what we got. But they're working on the nets, and Jesus walks up to them, and he says, I want you to become fishers of men. Now, let's say Jesus walked up to a plumber. I mean, just like this, I mean, hey, you know how you guys fish? Yeah, 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 I want you now to fish for men. Oh, okay, all right, so... I gotta be thinking about what I do and apply that spiritually. Okay, you know, let's say he walks out to a plumber. You know, you know how you unclog those pipes? You know how you get on the sink and unclog the pipes? You get all that? Yeah, yeah. I want you to unclog some people's lives. Okay, I think I can do that. You, go, you go up to that real estate agent. You, you know how you find a buyer? You know how you find a buyer and then you cast a vision for a home and where they could be and cast a, a different future if they were in that home? Yeah, yeah. I want you to go find some buyers for me and I want you to cast a different vision for them. Oh, I know, I know how to do that. You see, you see, when we break it down, Jesus is illustrative because he is not only the master storyteller, he is the master motivator. And he says, guys, let's start fishing for men. All right, all right, so what should we do? All right, let's start here. Let's um, go fishing. Uh, makes sense. I mean, there has to be a point where you go, am I going to fish? Or am I going to clap for the professionals? Am I going to fish? Or am I going to take care of the aquarium? Make sure we're all safe. Am I going to fish? Or am I going to talk about it? I heard one brother say, so many believers, they talk about the lost more than they talk to the lost. That convicted me. Who could you possibly go fishing with? Is it possible that God has already put somebody in your life that you could go fishing with? You mean literally fishing? Okay, well maybe if you're a fisher, but maybe it's a golf club. Maybe it's a shopping trip. Maybe it's the promenade with a cup of coffee. I don't know. Get creative. But the point is to set a date to go, I'm gonna go fishing, but I don't know what to say. Very true and often the case. And it'll be really awkward because we've been friends forever. However, If you're a fisherman, do you really want them if they're not guaranteed tomorrow to spend an eternity in hell without ever hearing it come out of your mouth? Where's the urgency? Where's the boldness? But you know, oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not gonna be a fisherman if you must become greater and he must become less. He has to become greater and you have to become less in order to go fishing. You set a date. I heard a brother in Christ, he shared how he shares his testimony, and I thought it was phenomenal. He said, a lot of times I work with business professionals and different things, and it's very awkward for me to talk religiously because they get very intimidated by that, or they get like, oh, get away from me, get away from me. He said, so I simply say this. He goes, you know, I'm a person of faith, and yes, I do, I do. He goes, well, you know what? Um, I like to share my testimony at times with people, and um, I don't know how I come across all the time. I don't know if it sounds weird or strange, and would you mind if I share my testimony with you and you just give me some feedback and ask any questions or just tell me how it comes off? And that way I can kind of just, you know, share it and you can, you love me, you know me and just kind of help me get some of the edges off. And then he goes and shares his testimony. What do you have to do to do that? You gotta go fishing. You can't keep taking care of the aquarium. You actually have to go fishing. Well, what's the second thing you gotta do? You've gotta cast the net. Now, church, I did a really good job for service. I did my best. I practiced and I was terrible, but I got a lot better. But there are weights at the bottom of this thing. It's heavy and I'm gonna loosen this thing up and I'm gonna try to throw it. But the goal when you cast the net is to do what? get it as big as possible, right? And so you have these weights at the bottom and you wanna spread it out and you wanna throw it. And I watched enough YouTube to know that my hips are very important here, okay? All right, and and you throw it and then you spin it. So here we go. Please, prayerfully, nothing breaks. How about I go, no, not towards the piano. We'll go this way. All right, here we go. And you throw it like this. And that wasn't my best effort. You should have seen me first service. But what's the goal? Look at the screen. The goal is for this to get as wide as possible, okay? You want to cast as big a net as you can. You know, it's funny. Sometimes as a church, we really believe in getting a net out there. In fact, it's one of the reasons behind our online work. One of the reasons we do this, we want to cast a bigger net. But you know what? There's a cost to that. The criticism goes through the roof when you're online. Comments, objections, frustrations, uh, agendas that they think we have when all our goal is to cast the broadest net ever because Renew Bible doesn't wanna be a church known for taking care of its aquarium. It wants to be a church known for casting as big a net as it can. And so sometimes we even buy facilities in town and give out free food. Why? Because we're casting as big a net as we can. We have a message that's too important to keep to ourselves. And we'd rather not spend the next 20 years fighting over paint colors and cheer comfort. And instead cast a net. And now we're in over 48 states, multiple countries sharing the gospel. And there has been a price to that. But this church has always been about that. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know why we gotta do all that. This church in the 60s was trying to cast a big net. We just purchased our 4th and Arch facility where our church came from over hundred years ago, okay? It's a little church on 4th and Arch. And we started digging up some old documents. We found a document uh, from that little church. Some of you know the size of it, okay? It could fit like over here, <laughs> right? Okay, um, and, and look at one of the documents we found. Radio fund for First Baptist Church of Perkinsy. That little church was like, we need to get the gospel out in the radio. And they were dropping bank on this. Look, $2.50, $10, $2. This is back November 16th, 1959. This deposit was February 27th, 51 bucks. Get the gospel out there, cast the net, let them hear about Jesus. It's always been a part of our DNA. We believe we have a story to tell and we believe We have a gospel to share and it's part of our church's DNA. Is it part of you to say, I want to cast as big a net as I can. I have a great message. And then finally, draw them in. Draw them in. I mean, when someone's interested, draw them in. It might be with a ladies' night. It might be with wild wings. I don't know. (laughs) It might be with Elevate. It might be with day camp. But we offer things sometimes that people really enjoy so that they can see that, hey, hey, there's a lot of hope in this place. And the more you pull in these nets, it tightens up and so that the fish are inside there. And Jesus says, that's what I've called you to do. And what makes you think you have forever? What makes you think your friend does? And how much do you got to hate somebody to not share the news that you have? I don't hate, Jesus, I don't hate them. I'm scared. Well, then make it about me and a whole lot less about you. And I have to remind myself, every time I walk up onto this stage and I get the anxiety and I get the nervousness and I get like, I can't believe we're doing this. There's going to be this, this, this. Wait a minute. It ain't about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, amen, Renew new Bible. And that's who he is. He fishes for men. Anybody wanna follow him? Oh, I'm thinking about it. I've been thinking about following. I've been thinking about following. Well, um, what do you, when do you think Mark would say do it? Immediately. Next week, Jesus is going to encounter people from all sorts of walks, unclean spirits to even those with leprosy. I pray you come back as we keep finding out who he is. But I pray more importantly that y'all think about going fishing. Heavenly Father, use your word to inspire us. Help us to not put something off, God. You may in your sovereignty brought somebody into this room today because they have something they need to share with someone who might not even have another week. And they might share, and then immediately they might get back to them. And immediately they might get an opportunity. And before you know it, immediately they might come to church. And before you know it, immediately the gospel will get proclaimed. And before you know it, immediately someone will bow a knee. Because at any moment at the blink of an eye, at the sound of a trumpet, immediately Jesus may come. It may be said of this church and this place that he caught us while we were out fishing.